0: Yeah, I just want to add to what Mark said. It was—it feels like missionally trying to reach out to people. To, it's slow progress when you're winning trust, but when you've got guys who are probably—I don't know whether they're practising Muslims, Asian background—they um, weren't drinking last night. So who, who say there's just there's something about you? I believe that's what. Is a great testimony of, of, of what we're about. I feel what those guys are expressing is, is, is what we are, that they see something of who we are. They see something of our, our life and our integrity. And, and I love you guys for that. So this is David and Goliath. It's possibly the most famous Bible story. Turn the person next to you, and you're probably good at this because you've been in God first for a little bit. But I want you to say, if you're going to preach this sermon... In two lines, what would it be? Just turn to the person next to you. If you're going to preach this sermon in uh, two lines, three, or four lines, what, what would you preach? What's this story about? Clearly, it's about giants and stuff. What's, what's the application? You know what I'm going to say, so you'd be quiet. Okay, you could. Yes, indeed, Andy is correct. You could get 20 different sermons out of it. But does want to try for a typical sermon in a nutshell? Obedience to God overcomes the impossible. Yeah, that could have been one. What, anyone else? You can overcome insurmountable odds with God. That's helpful to add that. Yeah. Any, anything? Anyone else? Failure is not forever. Failure is not forever. This is the typical sermon in a nutshell. We all face giants in our lives. Challenges that taunt our weaknesses and fill us with fear. But if you have courage... You too can be like David and face down the giants in your life. You, you must have heard of that sort of sermon, yes? In fact, that, that's the typical sermon. I've got probably eight, nine books about David and Goliath, and that is where they all go. They all go about, you face these big challenges in your life. You face this and this and this. And um, my service says, uh-uh. <laughs> That was slow. It should have been quicker. My servant said, uh-uh. "I think it's really interesting. We've got to be careful when we read the New Testament. When we read the Old Testament, we read it with New Testament eyes." So here's a typical—I would say—I'm just going to tell you about sermons that you might hear. This a typical 20th-century sermon. This is the recipe for it. It has a twist of, of a neatly crafted metaphor. Giants stand for this and that. A, a dash of psychology. You need to have courage, be strong, believe in yourself. A dollop of search for the hero inside yourself. There's so much preaching there's about. Search for the hero inside yourself. In there, somewhere, Mark, Clements, there's a hero. You can be David. Can I garnish it with a little bit of God. That is really typical. It's a bit of psychology. What's wrong with this? Search for the hero inside yourself. What's wrong with this little sermon here? It, 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 there's no, no Jesus in there, is there? But, but, but uh, what else? It's a bit of moralism, isn't it? It's a bit if you Search for the hero inside yourself is actually what... It's not Christianity, it's what's called humanism. It's humanism. You can be a great person. You hear that all the time. Disney films, full of it. You can be a great person. If you only have a dream, then you can have a dream come true. But it's actually humanism. It's the gospel of Oprah Winfrey. Come on, deep inside you, there's a great person wanting to get out. Or what about, if it's try hard to follow the example of David, try and be a good Christian, what's that? What's the big word for that? So if, if kind of, search for the is humanism, what's tr- uh, try and be a good person? Law or moralism, isn't it? It's kind of, do your best. So what happens is you hear sermons about David and Goliath, and you think, right, I need to try to be like David. But actually, I feel like a pathetic little coward. But I'm going to be like David. And actually, what it is, you're trying to be good. It's David, your motivation. David, your example. David, your, the one you should be like, you should emulate like. And, and the bottom line is, it, it's moralism. And you can find that gospel where? In a synagogue or in a mosque. You look shocked, but you can. If you go to a mosque... The gospel in a mosque is try hard to be a better person. If you go to a synagogue, try hard, keep the commandment to be a better person. It's 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 moralism, and so and actually the thing is, it, this is not about David. is a picture of the kind of person that God can use. This is a picture of David, and if you've been around God first, if you've been around me at all. This is a picture of David as. Jesus. David has Jesus. Now, David does a very good attempt, as we walk through the story, you'll find he does very, very good attempts to be totally unlike Jesus at times. But there's times when Jesus is the example. The gospel is Jesus. Christianity is not you're the hero, but Jesus is our victorious hero. In fact, Jesus even said that about when they read the Old Testament, they said to the Teachers and preachers of the law. It says that you, you search the scriptures, looking for life's answers, life's lessons, and you, you can click a, a hundred podcasts. I'm not saying they're all bad. Please don't get me wrong. I'm the only one who preaches you. I'm not saying that at all. But, but you can click a hundred podcasts, and it's just life lessons. And there's no Jesus. A, and actually, our gospel is Jesus. Jesus said this to the Bible teachers of death. Okay. It's, it's, you study the scriptures... Because you think in them you have life, but these are the scriptures that tell about me. And you refuse to come to me, in life. That, that in the Old Testament Jesus is still the main story, but he's the story hidden. He's the story on every page hidden, and and in the New Testament is the Jesus the story revealed. So the main story is when you look at an Old Testament passage is always is Jesus here, and the subplot. Is are we there so actually the, the, this morning it 's not about this is not about you, particularly there might be some subplot that 's about you, and we 'll try and bring those in, but actually it 's about him, okay? Father, we just pray as we look at this passage that we won 't be left thinking well i 'm not a very good hero, or won 't be thinking, man, I face these massive giants, and it just seems insurmountable and If I cross my fingers and whistle a happy tune, uh, I might become all that I'm called to be. No, Lord Jesus, we totally admit our desperate need of you. We totally admit that we are in need of a hero. We're in need of a saviour. We're like the Israelites who have no confidence but fear running away from Goliath. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have come to be our great victorious hero. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would empower us as you empower these Israelites through what David does, did uh, this morning. Amen. Okay, so let's read. I'm going to, I've edited down, but we're in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, it's very long. And so they, they should be, it should come up here. The, uh, the Philistines have been battered by, um, by Jonathan and his armor bearer and by Saul. And then they kind of come back and, um, and fight back. The problem is Saul never wiped them out like he should have done. Uh, and God was pretty unhappy about that. But the Philistines gather again. It says the Philistines mustered that army for battle. And they faced each other opposite in opposite hills in the wilderness with a valley in between. It's interesting. We sang about a valley, didn't we? And we might come back to that. Uh, between them. then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, which is now president of Gaza Strip, uh, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. And he wore bronze leg armour and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's bean, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. That's like seven bags of sugar. Yeah, so heavy. Uh, and his armour bearer walked in front of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and taunted across To the Israelites, why are are all of you coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come here and fight me. If he defeats me, then uh, we will be your slaves. But if I defeat him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Then Saul and the Israelites heard this. They were terrified and deeply shaken. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Interesting, Goliath would be, uh, in the Guinness Book of Records, the tallest man that ever lived, uh, or recorded since history, that's verifiable, 8 foot 11 inches. So it's it's really interesting, I think. Did God know that actually, that that, that Goliath was going to be taller than than anyone we've ever recorded there's something about this nine foot that says this man is just the biggest of giants Uh, he's you know he he's not just the a big giant he is the biggest giant that that we could that he could possibly face but it's really quite ironic isn't it because we've been told in in samuel two or three times uh, something about saul what was that he was head and shoulders tall so this whole thing is quite ironic because uh, israel chooses king saul because he's the tall one they reject saul, samuel uh, who is the prayer and they choose the tall one they want to appear strong but yet what happens is there's always someone bigger and i thought about this and i thought uh, you know what the, the, if you trust in your own strength what happens when someone bigger or stronger shows up If you trust in your own ability. So, for example, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you you think, well, as I said last week about appearance, if you think, well, I'm very, very beautiful, and I'm about to get married, and and I'm going to be married because I am indeed beautiful. Now, that's nice, isn't it, to think that. But obviously, a time's going to come when there will be a more beautiful model that turns up. And I know husbands and wives will say, Yes, you're still the most beautiful thing in the world, and that's true. But the fact is, you will get older. There was a time when I was highly attractive. But but if you trust in your good good looks, there's always going to be somebody better looking, isn't there? And even as you get older, somebody's going to be better looking. If you were the best looking eventually you're not going to be the best looking. And that's a dangerous place to be. We talked about this with marriage. We talked about Tim Keller, a transactional analysis. If you, if you kind of take this idea that actually you're just going to be the best, eventually somebody, a better model is going to come in and you just trade it in. And that's what's happening in our society, isn't it? Very sad. Men leaving women, just a better model's come along. Or, or what about if you're in, in the workplace? You know, your ability to climb... The ladder of success is fine. And sometimes, you know, you, you because you're able, are able to, as it were, put your, head, your foot on the head of someone else or on the shoulders of someone else and climb over them on the ladder of success. And that's all very nice, isn't it? But it's not very nice when actually you find someone who's more gifted and more capable and they get promoted above you. And, and, and actually, if your, if your identity, and it's a great word about identity, if your identity is in your job and then what happens is you don't have your job anymore That can be hugely crushing, because someone else has got that job, and someone am I no good anymore? And so if you start to trust in your own strength, sooner or later, something's going to come along. And the bottom line is true for all of us, if you trust your own morality, your own ability to be good, guess what? Some big, nasty, giant sin is going to come and master you. It is. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. On your own, on your own, without Jesus, sin will always master you. And if you trust in your own strength to be good, your own ability to be moral, and you end up, where you are going to end up? Not being moral, but end up where? You're going to end up being a hypocrite. Because you've got to fake it in the end. Because if it's about your own strength, you're never, ever going to make it. And it's really interesting that um, Goliath, perhaps, was one of the last surviving Anakites. It talks about when the uh, Israelites spied out the land, uh, they spied out the land and they saw, it says, and the sons of Nephilim were there, and also the sons of Anak, and they were giants. Can anybody remember what they said? I might even have, no, don't put it up. Can I remember what they said? When they came back with a report, they saw these giants in the land, they carried this big fruit, and what did they say about themselves? Can anyone remember? He said, okay, you're simple. Thank you, yes. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. It's really interesting, that, but yet there were two who said, no, if God is with us, he's going to give us this land. But the ones who didn't believe said, man, look at the giants, we seem like grasshoppers in our, our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. This is not just this sense of giants is not something that just oh that's a nice little fairy story. It's actually something that's rooted right in the heart of Israel's story. So when it, when he when Goliath taunts Israel in the name of his god Dagon, we've talked about that. We Dagon the, the Ark of the Covenants in Dagon's temple. And in the morning, Dagon's fall flat on his face. Next day, they put him up, and then Dagon's fall flat down. He's saying, that is not who's really strong. That Dagon is still really strong. He says, I curse you in the name of my gods. And he says this, you will be, come and fight me, and if I win, you will be our slaves. What does that trip in your head about Israel's story? They were slaves in Egypt. There were slaves in Egypt. So this whole thing is not just saying, actually, can you fight this giant? It's this saying, we're going to reverse all the stuff that God has done. You were slaves in Egypt, and now you're going to be re-enslaved. You didn't feel that you could get go into the land because you saw the giants, and you were scared, and you ran away, and so you wandered in the desert for, for 40 years. You're going to be expel, expelled from the land. It's a bit like the Adam and Eve story. They were. They sinned. They said, "We won't have God as our king," and therefore God uh, expelled them from the garden. And sin and death came and ruled, and they wandered outside. And then what happens is Israel says to God, "We don't want you as our king. We'll have Saul." And then a big enemy comes, one that seems seemingly insurmountable, and it's you're going to be kicked out of the land, and you're going to go back to slavery. Death is going to rule. So it's not like, oh, this is a little story here. This is, this is Israel's story. And what does he say? It's not a sign of his good eyesight. I'm not making that joke. He says about Goliath something quite specific about him. Can I remember what he says? What does he call him? You uncircumcised Philistine. What's that saying? What's circumcision all about? Does anyone know what circumcision is all about? It's actually God promised to Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. I'm the strong, mighty God who's going to give you this land. And he says, and then they makes, he makes that promise to them and he puts a sign of circumcision on all the, all the men of Israel to say, you're the people who inherit the land that God's promised. It's a reminder to them. It's not about your strength and your energy that's given you this land. In fact, even in Numbers... Uh, that Moses says, don't think you've got the land because you're more numerous or because you're better, but I've chosen to give you the land. And so that's what's happening. There's this story where Goliath is attacking their very identity. So he comes almost as the anti-savior. I think there's a slide here, Andy. He comes as the anti-savior. He's not just the big giant, but he's the anti-savior. They've been saved from Egypt and he's the salvation devourer. No, you're going to be slaves again. He's Satan, which means mocking accuser. He's sin, which is the enslaver. He's death, which is the destroyer. He comes doing all that. He comes to reverse all God's salvation goodness. And he's, that's what's on the table. He is Satan, sin and death. Summa- uh, this insurmountable energy that nobody seems to be able to triumph uh, over them. It's like the shadow comes over them and they fear. And run away in the face of what God has said they believe Goliath. Forty days he's coming out, taunting them, mocking them. Forty days. Forty days is in the Bible is for a long time. It means a waiting time, doesn't it? And I know for you, sometimes that you think I've waited a long time for God to answer my prayers. I have faced difficulties. This is subplot now. I've faced difficulties and challenges. And you think, when is God going to answer my prayer? I want that. When is God going to answer that? And it's easy, isn't it, that you can look around to your own strength. You can look around. It's almost like you can see Israel looking around. Is anybody going to be good enough? We'll start with Saul, his head and shoulders. Is anybody else going to be good enough to face down Israel? To face down Goliath on behalf of Israel? And the fact is, there's no one, is there? You'll find later on that, David, that Saul offers the king's daughter an exemption from taxes. But actually, you can easily hear this story and say, well, they're all just cowards. Have you heard that story and think, well, they're all just cowards? You hear them hiding away from the giant and think, well, their problem is they lack courage. They're just cowards. But actually, when Satan's sin and death comes, when sin comes, actually, who's strong enough on their own? Nobody. Nobody's strong enough. Nobody's strong enough. When faced with Satan, sin and death, we need a savior. In fact, John in Revelation captures the moment, doesn't he? It says, uh, writing in Revelation 4, it says, I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. They looked around through Israel and it says, no one. There's no one who can take on this giant. There's no one. And and it's like at the end of the the story, John picks up that I wept and wept. Well, who is there? Who can do this? Who can win for us? Who can set us free? There's no one. But he goes on. He says, but then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Here's this sense of, you don't need to worry. You don't need to weep because there is a Saviour. Yes. Amen. So let's, let's go quick. Let's go to the Saviour. One day, Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem, that's what it means, in Judea. Interesting, Bethlehem in Judea. Said to his son David, take this bread some bread later, see how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report of what they're doing. Saul's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army fighting, well they weren't really running away against the Philistines, so David left the sheep and arrived at the camp to greet his brothers. And as he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion, came out of the Philistine ranks, then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fear. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? Then the men told David that the king would give him great wealth, his daughter's hand, and exempt from taxes the man who kills him. It's really interesting, isn't it? Who's coming into the story? See if you can get the link here. Here's David, born in Bethlehem of Judea. He's called the Beloved One. That's what David means. He's God's anointed, which means God's Messiah, which means God's Christ. He, we, he's the Spirit-filled one. We just heard that last week. He's the faithful good shepherd who risks his life to save his sheep. We'll read about that in a minute. He's the one greater than his brothers. He was anointed in the midst of his brothers, but yet happy to serve his brothers with bread from his father. You know who this is, don't you? Are there enough hints in that story for you to know who this is? This is Jesus, isn't it? So what happens is when when David's talking to his brothers, Goliath, the Philistine champion, comes out and says, choose one to be the representative. Choose one representative to fight me on my behalf. And obviously Saul couldn't choose anyone to fight. He's using kind of tax cuts and tax breaks and fairy story offerings of my daughter's hand in marriage and, you know, all that. It's kind of like a bit of a fairy story. But he can't. He can't get anyone. But he won't ask for a saviour. He doesn't say, God. You never hear Saul saying, God, will you send a saviour? We're in a mess, where you send a saviour? But he never asks for a saviour, he never sends a messiah, he never says, God, send a saviour. He's supposed to be anointed one, but he, he doesn't get it. But what we need is somebody who's going to be the saviour, who's going to represent us in this battle. And the story is, it's Jesus who's going to be the one who represents us in this battle. And David sees the spiritual dimensions of the contest. He says, I'm going to remove this disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of God? Saul and his army see the might of Goliath. David sees the might of God. So David talks to his older brother. He says that when David's older brother Eliab, remember him? from last week the good looking one surely the Lord's anointed stands here he must be the one David's brother Eliab heard David talking to the men he was angry what are you doing around here he demanded with who did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness I know your pride and deceit you just want to see the battle what have I done says David I've only asked a question it's really interesting isn't it that actually we have a real little subplot here that, that sometimes, you know, what David feels like, we can fight Goliath, and his, his brother says to him, you, you've got no chance. You know, sometimes the hardest, harshest words don't come from those Goliaths out there that shout, you can never win. The hardest words sometimes come from those close to you. The harshest words come sometimes from, from, from those who, um, who, who, who you trust. It's interesting that what does... Um, Eliab say about uh, David he says, I know your pride and deceit well, actually if you look at David, deceit isn't really his thing, he doesn't have one moment of deceit and pride, but actually, it's not really his thing, is it? Whose thing is pride and deceit? It's Eliab's I know this in my life that sometimes people come and tell me stuff, and you think yeah, that's good, it's good advice thank you for telling me you're proud or deceitful or whatever but sometimes people come in and tell you stuff in your life and you think actually what you're criticising me with is is your own problem you know sometimes and that can rob your car you can think oh I can't fight I can't fight yeah that's me you know what is wrong with me and sometimes, how do you cope with that? I think he was honestly trying to give advice. And I think Eliab's thinking, do you realize how big, giant the go- Goliath is? And you come in here, you little 15 year old, that's all David is, 15 year old kid, you, you know, can barely kind of, you know, barely get up to my kind of shoulders. And here you go, and you want to fool Goliath, and we've got these, we've been fighters for ages, and what do you think you are? It's, it sounds like good advice. It sounds like, don't be stupid. But actually, it just crushes him. I remember one time, um, I'd, we'd done a membership course in, in, in church in Manchester, and um, we'd had the membership booklet, and s- one person had left their membership booklet afterwards, after the day had gone. And they wrote in it, This is a load of rubbish. Howard doesn't even know what he's talking about. And I'm clearing up the membership booklets that people have left on. And I see this one, and I'm all a wreckage. And I ring my father in law, and he says, Howard, get over it. Well, it wasn't like search for the hero inside you. He said, he said this, he said, It's brilliant, he said, Jesus was criticized. So do you think you're not going to be? People said hard stuff to Jesus, you think you're not going to be? Jesus is uh, baptized, full of the Spirit, He hears the voice from the heaven, this is my beloved son. The next thing is in the devil is in the in the wilderness, interesting, with a big Satan, and Satan says, If you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread his mother he's on the cross if you are the son of God come down from the cross they mocked him and spat at him but the worst thing that perhaps was the hardest thing is he starts to start his public ministry and his mother and brothers come and they say we've got to take him away he's mad he's out of his head imagine that Jesus Mary comes you know Catholics probably don't process this one it doesn't get preached about much you know you're mad Jesus you're useless. What, what's the matter with you? Out of your mind making this stupid Messiah cleanse? Stop it. Take him away. How hard? We, we will get criticised. But here's, here's the answer to when you get criticised. You've got to have a louder voice in your head. You have a louder voice in your head. This is subplot. You have got to have a louder voice in your head. I believe that Jesus, the main plot, had a louder voice in his head when Satan's tempting him. He's got a louder voice in his head saying, "You're my beloved son, in whom I'm pleased." Are you really the son? And I think what we've got to do as people, and I need this. We need people, not as going to criticise us, but we need people. Uh, if people criticise us, we need a louder voice in our head that says you're my beloved son a louder voice can't I hear you what's going on what are you doing P-A-B-C it's not going to happen da, da, da. louder voice no Jesus you're, you're my brother God you're my father I'm loved isn't that what? and I think David's got a louder voice in his head than his brother he's got Samuel's voice I, I've chosen one after my own heart David's let's move on with. get this down we will we'll get there David's question, surprised that nobody wants to fight uh, Goliath gets to King Saul, you, it, um, Tara alluded to it in her, in her words. it says, uh, then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. It's amazing, he'd been playing the guitar in his church for about a year or whatever, and Saul didn't even know he was, you find that later, but that's just an aside. <laughs> Don't lose heart about this Philistine, David told Saul. He's reassuring the king. The king should be reassuring him. He's reassuring the king. I'll go and fight him. Saul says, you can hear it again. Don't be ridiculous. Saul so replied, "There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth." And David says, "David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep." And he said, "When a lion or bear, and he said, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it, rescue it from the lion's mouth." It says, "Grab it by the beard, smack it in the face, club it to death." I've done this to both lions and bears and I'll do this to this uncircumcised Philistine too for he has defied the armies of the living God the the Yahweh God who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistines what's the small lesson here? turn to Nabi and say what's the small lesson from what David's just said? faithful in the small battles victory in the big battles who got that right? tick, well done (laughs) <laughs> that's what Ru- that's what we found with Ruth and Naomi. She's faithful. She just said, I'm just going to gather. That's what we find with Boaz. That's what we find with Samuel. Faithful in the small battles. Faithful in little, faithful in much. Faithful in the secret battles, win the big battles. Faithful with a few sheep, shepherd over Israel. Faithful in victory over small sins, victory over big sins. Faithful in your marriage and family, responsibility over the church. Now it's interesting, Jesus did this. There's an interesting little verse in Luke 2 to 51 where it says, And Jesus went home and was obedient to his parents. I love this one. So you can imagine Mary saying to Jesus, Can you tidy your room? And he goes, Ah, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. Do you realise who you're talking to here? He, he, he could have said, Uh, uh well, he, I'm not tidying my room. I'm good. You tidy it for me. I, I, I command you to tidy it. You know? But yet he says, it says, He was obedient. He did the small stuff. So when the big question was asked, which big question is he asked? Will you go to the cross? Is in the garden and he's able to say to his father, not my will, but yours be done. That's the faithful in the small battles. So David go, says, I'm going to go. And he agrees to go. A bit like Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. He agrees to go and fight Goliath. And it's interesting that I think that Saul just says, he says, all right, go ahead. And may Yahweh God be with you. And I think, he's, I think he's sending, he thinks he's sending David to his death. Offers him the armour, great word about don't put on anyone else's armour, be yourself, trust in God, don't use anyone else's methods, trust in God. And he it it sends him thinking he's going to die. You can imagine that David kind of walks down, he tries on the armour and gets it off, he's got a stick and a sling. And he walks down into what Valley. <coughs> the valley of the shadow of death <coughs> he could have died he could have died it's not like ah, oh, it's all certain he wasn't going to die he, he, he takes his trust in God in his hands and walks into the valley of the shadow of death what does he say in that psalm even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death you are with me your rod and staff come for me what's he got in his hands? He's just got a rod in his hand. He's just got a stick in his hand. It's going. It goes out. Saul still thinks the battle's about one man's strength, about another. But David's hopes, Israel's hopes, hang on a 15-year-old boy with a small wooden staff and sling. What did Saul say? He said, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can win. Actually, what we find is that... that that Jesus' way of winning is, is always the one that seems ridiculous. And we'll see that in a minute. David picked up five stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. And then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley of the shadow of death put in there to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, and sneering in contempt he c- at this mere boy, Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come to me with a stick? he cursed David in the name of his God come here and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals, Goliath yelled at him he comes with a stick there might even be a little hint there Andy, if you put it up comes with a stick yeah, it's a little hint maybe it's a little stick what a stupid stick no, what I'm going to do, Jesus says to, Jesus says to Peter, I'm, I'm going to go and be crucified. And Peter says, no, don't be so stupid, it's foolish. You'll ne- don't be ridiculous, that can never win. That's a stupid idea, a stupid stick. No, we're not going there. That's never going to work. But, but Paul says this, doesn't he? He says, for the message of the cross, I'm going to go and give my life. It's foolishness to those who are slowly dying, but to those who have been saved, it's the power of God. For the, foolish, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This story is full of people who laugh at God's foolish chosen saviour and his foolish weapons, but actually we need to kneel and say, Jesus, it's you. We love your method. Let's read, get to the story and then land this down. David replied to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword and a spear, and I come to you in the name of Yahweh God, the living God of the armies of Israel who you defied. Today Yahweh God will conquer you. Interesting, it's not David who's going to do the conquering. Yahweh God will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give your bo- dead body, he says the same as, as, as Goliath said to him, to the birds of the air and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. This, this victory, this battle, is so that the whole world knows that God is God. And everyone assembled here, that's the, assembled is another word for church, it's almost the same word, everyone churched here will know that Yahweh rescues his people, not by a sword and a spear. The battle belongs to Yahweh God and he will give victory he gave victory of it in it to his people. As Goliath walked closer to attack, David's mad, isn't he? He ran quickly to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit Goliath, uh, the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled to his face and fell on the ground. So David triumphed over Goliath, over the Philistine with a sling and a, a stone for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword, cut, put it from his sheath. He cut his head off. The blood spurted. all. Oh no, it's onto that. And he used it to kill him and cut off his head. Let's just land this down. So, let's, so let, this is Jesus winning the battle for us against sin and death. I've got some here is Jesus's. Here is Jesus. God himself who took on flesh to be our brother. He's one of us. He's an Israelite. He's one of us. Born in Bethlehem and Judea. Here's the beloved one who said that of his father. Here's God's anointed one, God's Messiah, God's Christ. Here's the spirit filled one, but it doesn't stop there. Here is God's true king, defiant against Satan, sin, and death. Here is Jesus set his face, striding forward towards the cross. It's like David runs across the valley. Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. Here is Jesus who we've mocked and ridiculed and taunted. Here's David mocked and ridiculed. Here's Israel mocked and ridiculed. Here's David mocked by his brothers. Here's Israel uh, mocked by Goliath. Here is Jesus whose weakness, whose cross is greater than man's strength. Here is Jesus, our champion, our representative. Who fights Satan, sin and death on our behalf. Here is Jesus whose names, name means Yahweh saves. Rescuing his people, not by a sword or a spear, but by his own death on our behalf. Here's the second Adam. Come to the fight to cut off and crush the head of the serpent. Here is Jesus conquering, resurrected, living God. Declaring that he's the Lord of the whole world. Here is Jesus declaring to his assembled church that the battle is his, not ours. This is Jesus. He's come. He comes into the into our situation and actually how do we need to win in life? How do we need to, to see victory in life? How do we see need to see our giants come down? We need to we don't need to do it ourselves. We need to admit that we are pathetic, that we're scared like we're scared like Israel, that we've got nothing to offer, that we've got we need desperately need a savior, that we need someone to change us, that we need someone to set us free and, and, and Jesus comes to do all that. He comes and takes the mocking, doesn't he? And the whipping and the scourging. And he takes the, the ridicule. And he takes people saying it's foolishness. And he takes people saying it's weak and it can never happen. And he takes people saying he'll never win. But yet he conquers, the wo- he conquers so the whole world will know that he's the mighty king. He conquers so the church will know that the battle is not ours, but his. And I think you might think, oh, I know this. But actually, we've got to live this. We've got to live this. This is the true story. If you feel difficulties and challenges in your life, the answer is not for you to try to be David. The answer is for you to say, I'm hidden in Christ. He's my David. He's my great victor. He's the one that does it. He's the one that wins the victories. As a church, guys, we we can look around and look at our resources and say, we're weak and pathetic and we can't do enough. What's the matter? But actually, we've got to hide ourselves in Him. He's the one who wins the victory. And we've totally got to believe this. It's a challenge of belief. Do we believe that He's going to win the victories? Do we believe that He's a great king? Or is it just a preacher blowing smoke? It totally matters in your day-to-day life. When the Philistines, it says, saw their champion was dead... They turned and ran. Sin and death's defeated. Sin and death's death's defeated. It changes the whole story. The end of the story changes the whole story. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines. This is when our victory comes, isn't it? David's victory turns defeated people into conquerors. We're not called to be heroes who think God's impressed with our appearance. We're not called to be heroes to try and earn our victories and scheme our way to victory. We're not called to be heroes to resist them by our own willpower. We're not called to be heroes who achieve great things and defeat giants on our own. We're called to be, let Jesus win the victory, and then we rise up and say we can do it. If you're in Christ... Giants of Satan's accusation have no power over you. You're useless. You're a failure. You're messed up again. You're never, going to to an, you're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to break this sin. This habitual sin you're never going to be free of. You're never going to be different. Accusation, accusation, accusation. What does the Bible say? There's no condemnation for those in Christ. He wins our victory. Well, no, it's really true. So when the mocking voices come, you say, I'm not listening. He's won the victory his noise, the noise of his great victory is drowning out all the, the, the whispering lies of defeat. Sin has no power over us. You know, you can never beat Goliath on your own. But with Jesus, you should never lose. That's what it says. It says you shouldn't sin. It should be a, we can, Every Goliath of sin we can take down because Jesus has won the victory. Every Goliath of sin. It's not like I can't do it. I, I, I've, I spoke to somebody some, some weeks back, and they said to me, oh, I, it's God promises I, I, I wouldn't be tempted beyond I could bear, but God did tempt me beyond I could bear. And I said, that's just not true. You can win against every sin, every thought, every weakness. You can win. Sin no longer has power over you. Don't let sin come back and take you back to Egypt. Don't let sin come back and enslave you. And the last thing is, in Christ, death has no Hold over us. David goes out like weak, and he could have died, but he wasn't scared. And David and Jesus went through death and resurrection so that actually we shouldn't be scared. One of the things that marks out Christians should be that we don't love our lives so much that we're scared to do anything. That we're scared to be bold and brave and risk. Why? Not because we're great heroes, because he's the one who's won the victory. He's the one in our weakness who makes us strong. So what happens at the end is is it says the church of God rose up with a great shout and pursued their enemies. And here we are, little David. Little David. Can we pursue our enemies? Or are you going to be defined by these giants and hide away, carry away and say, we've got no hope and we can never win. We can never beat these battles. Jesus has won the battle for us. We're going to break bread and celebrate this battle. It says about David, doesn't it? He came to bring bread to his brothers. And Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, he's with his brothers, isn't he? And he takes the bread and breaks it. That Passover meal that remembers when they came out of slavery, where God gave them the land and promised them the land. He takes takes the bread and breaks it and says, this is my body broken for you comes to feed his brothers. Takes the cup and says, This is my blood shed for you. This is the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood of the promise of victory. This is the blood of that says, actually, no weapon formed against you can stand anymore. No mocking giant can take you down anymore. No sin can master you anymore. No despair can overcome you anymore. No criticism can harm you anymore. Because we're promised with a new circumcised ones. We've got the mark of of Jesus as we take this in, in our body. Lord Jesus, we just pray, Lord, as we stand behind you, the great David. The conquering king. The one who died and burst out of the grave. The one who leads sin and death and Satan captive. Drags them behind you in in your triumphant victory. And Lord, I thank you that we are in that victory train. That we are victors with you. We're the ones who rule in life. The ones who should have no fear. Bold and fearless, not holding our lives too high, not worrying too much about our own schemes, not trying to plan it out ourselves, but saying, Jesus, you're the mighty King. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.